Now, today we're starting a new series, and I want to start by asking you this question. So have you ever had a viewpoint or an opinion about someone or something that you found out later wasn't true? Anybody have that happen in your life? Uh, I think many of us have had that happen, and I'll describe a recent scenario of that from my life. So one of the things that my kids make fun of me about is I try to be friendly to everyone. So I try to be friendly to people in our neighborhood who aren't even looking at me. So when we're driving out of our neighborhood and I'm driving with our family, I'm like waving to our neighbors and they're not looking at me. They might be working in their yard or working in their garage and my kids would be like, dad, they're not even looking at you. And I'm like, I know, but they might turn around and see me as, as we just pass and they'll see my hand up and think, oh yeah, that's that bald guy, he's kind of weird. So I'm trying to be friendly to anybody, everybody. So even when I'm shopping locally, I try to be friendly at the stores that I'm shopping at, especially if I frequent those places often and I interact with employees that are there on a regular basis. I try to get to know them and just be friendly to them. So there's one store that I frequent really often, probably more than I should. But at this store recently, they had a new employee. And I saw this person as a new employee and I thought, well, I'm just gonna say hi. So I said hi. She didn't say anything. I thought, well, that's weird. Maybe she didn't hear me. And so I, I went on about my business. The next time I was there, I saw her again. I thought, well, I'll say hi again. So I said, hi. She didn't say anything. I thought, well, that's kind of more than coincidental. That's more than just maybe she didn't hear me. Uh, like, maybe she's kind of mean. Like, maybe she has poor customer service. I'm not sure, but I'm going to help her with her customer service. <laughs> I'm going to be so friendly, she's going to say hi back. So a few more times I, I saw her, I said, hi. She didn't respond. I'm like, this lady's got a problem. You know, I probably should talk to her manager about her customer service. Like, this is not good. You know, like if you continue on with this kind of customer service, you're going to push people away from this, uh, this business, and you don't want that to happen. So I have this like weird dialogue going, in, going on in my mind. And then a few weeks later, I see this person talking with another employee, in sign language. Anybody see that coming? I didn't see that coming. All right, so when, when I saw that, I thought, she's deaf, and I'm an idiot. Like, I had the wrong viewpoint. I had the wrong perspective of this lady. So the next time I saw her, I made eye contact. She looked at me, I said, hi, and she said, hi back. I was like, wow, I really am an idiot. Like, that's just terrible of me. Now, I think like all of us can identify with that perspective. Like maybe not that specific situation, but I think we all know what it's like to have a viewpoint about someone or something and later find out that, well, maybe that viewpoint is, is wrong. But when we discover that, we have a very important decision to make. Are we going to hold on to that wrong view or are we going to adjust to the new information that we have? Problem is, many of us don't adjust. So what if I continue to think that lady's mean and has poor customer service, even though I found out she's deaf and couldn't hear me? We'd all think, well, that's crazy. You got problems. And we already established that I have issues, you know, in the series we did, you know, the last few weeks together. But you would think that is weird. We would all think that is weird. But we all kind of do that at times. 
we hold on to our view of the world or something else that is called our worldview, we hold on to that at times, even though we get new information that might say, you know what, that worldview or that perspective you have about that thing or that person or those people is wrong. And at that moment, we've got a big decision to make. Are we going to adjust or not? Sometimes we cling to our worldview more than we adjust to new information that we are given. Now, we all have a worldview. We all have a perspective, a viewpoint, an opinion about the world around us, our place in the world, how people should behave around us. We have a viewpoint about what we think is right, what we think is wrong, how we think people should behave, whether we think people should say hi back when we say hi to them in our neighborhood or or when we're at their stores. We have a viewpoint, a worldview about everything around us. And our worldview drives us and it drives everything that we do. Dr. George Barna, the director of research at the Cultural Research Center, is one of the leading experts on measuring and analyzing worldviews and different cultures around the world. And he says this about our worldview. He said, our worldview informs and directs the choices that we make. Our moment-to-moment decisions are shaped by the worldview that we've adopted, we've adapted, and applied over the course of time. Whenever we are about to make a decision, we unconsciously run it through a mental, spiritual, and emotional filter that allows us to make choices consistent with what we believe to be true, significant, and appropriate. That filter is the result of the information and experiences that we have embraced to make sense of the world. To make even minor choices, we rely on our sense of right and wrong, good and bad, useful and useless, appropriate and inappropriate to produce what we believe are the wisest choices. So again, we all have a worldview that guides us. The problem is many of us can't articulate our worldview and many of us don't know how we developed our worldview and we don't know how important a worldview is. So when it comes to developing our view of the world, sometimes we just kind of go through life and pick a few things here, pick a few things there, what we kind of think was right in that situation, maybe what's right in this situation, what we feel good about in that moment, we feel good about in another moment. And then as we do that, we, we move into adulthood with a collection of inconsistent beliefs that don't align with each other. And that creates a problem. And that kind of worldview development creates a real problem for Christ followers. The reason is we aren't supposed to have a worldview that's filled with inconsistent beliefs. We're supposed to have Christ's view of the world. Apostle Paul said in Philippians, he said, you must have the same attitude, some translations say mindset, you must have the same attitude, the same mindset that Christ Jesus had. And then John said in 1 John, he said, those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So if you're a Christ follower, you are supposed to think the way that Jesus thinks and behave the way that Jesus behaved. Like that's God's expectation for those of us who are Christ followers. Now, Barna defines a Christ-centered worldview this way. He says, it's a means of experiencing, interpreting, and responding to life in light of biblical truth. Now, I think a a short way to remember that definition is these letters here, WWJD. Anybody remember WWJD bracelets from the 90s? All right, anybody wear those? 
Anybody still wearing them? A few, maybe. A few maybe still wear them. Yeah, I wore them a lot. If you're not familiar with them, WWD, I can't even say that. It's like WWF or something. <laughs> WWJD stands for what would Jesus do? So when we find ourselves in a situation, we're not sure what to do, we're not sure what to think, we're not sure what to behave, that little bracelet was supposed to jar our memory by asking us the question, hey, what would Jesus do in this moment? What would Jesus think in this situation? And it's kind of corny, but that question should guide us as Christ followers. It should guide us in what we think and what we choose to do based upon those thoughts. Now, the problem with a Christ-centered worldview is that most people don't have one. Barna published a report last year in 2021, and he found out this. He said, 51% of American adults claim to have a Christ-centered worldview, but only 6% have one. Isn't that crazy? Like 51% say, yes, I see the world the way that Jesus saw the world, the way that Jesus sees the world. And as Barna dug into that, he found out, you know, only 6% actually see the world the way that that Jesus did. That is shocking. Barna said that 94% of Americans have a syncretic worldview. If you look up the definition of syncretism, you'll find out that it means a mixture of inconsistent beliefs. You you might find that there's some other definitions that make it sound more inclusive, more open-minded, but that's the bottom line, the basic definition of syncretism, syncretism and syncretic worldviews. So as Barna was studying this, he studied seven seven different worldviews, and he came to the conclusion, he said, 94% of Americans have a mixture of these worldviews. And as I walk through these seven different worldviews, see if you can find some of your beliefs in some of them. So he looked at biblical theism, which says there is a God and God has a good plan for the world. He's got his will for my life and for the world and that we need to follow. He looked at secular humanism that says, I have a plan for my life. Whether God exists or not, don't know about that, but I have a plan for my life and I need to follow my plan and my will for life. Then he looked at postmodernism. Postmodernism says, you know what, truth is kind of relative. Uh, you decide what is true for you, and that may not be true for somebody else. You know, your truth may not be my truth, my truth may not be your truth. It's just relative. You define truth the way that you want to find truth, I'll define truth the way that I want to define truth. Then he looked at this, this really interesting thing: uh, moral therapeutic deism. Anybody ever heard of that before? I had not heard of it before I started studying for for this message. And here's what uh, this worldview basically says. There is a God, and God's top priority in life is my happiness. That's what God is focused on, making me happy. Now, I like the thought of that. I don't know it's theologically correct, but I I like the thought of it. Then there's nihilism. He explored that worldview. Nihilism says there's no right and wrong. Nothing really matters. Whatever you do, you do. If you decide to go out and kill someone, that's not a right or wrong thing. There's no morality in life. It's just an event that happened. If you decide to wave at your neighbors when they're not looking at you, that's not right or wrong. That's just a thing that you did. Then he looked at Marxism. 
which says that capitalism is bad, communism is good, and that you are a victim of everyone who has oppressed you in the world, and you are supposed to get even with all of those oppressors. Then he looked at Eastern mysticism, which encompasses New Age beliefs. So Barna said that 94% of the American population has picked a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that to come up with their worldview. Now, the problem is those worldviews don't agree with each other. Like, it's not possible to pick a little bit here and a little bit there and come up with a worldview that aligns with itself. These worldviews stand in direct opposition to each other. So that's a problem. When, when we kind of pick up a little bit of, of things here, a little bit there, it's a problem for everyone, especially for Christ followers. Here's some other shocking statistics from Barna. Barna also found that only 9% of people who claim to be Christ followers have a Christ-centered worldview. Only 9% of people who say, yes, that's me. I'm a committed follower of Jesus. I see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. He found only 9% actually see the world the way that Jesus does. And then he broke that down into different religious groups. And he wasn't making any statements about these groups. He was just reporting back what he found as he dug into this research. So this is what he found. He found that 21% of people who attend an evangelical church have a Christ-centered worldview. He found that 19% of people who claim to be born-again Christians have a Christ-centered worldview. He found that 16% of Pentecostal and charismatic Christians have a Christ-centered worldview. And he found that 1% of people who attend Catholic churches have a Christ-centered view of the world. Again, those, those aren't statements that he's making. He's just reporting the, the findings that he found in this study. Now, it's really interesting because all of these people claim to view the world the way that Christ views the world. Now, are you ready for the most shocking statistics I found as I was preparing for this message? Three of you are over here. Great. Everybody else, put your your seatbelt on because this is shocking. All right, here's what, what he found. He found only 37% of American pastors have a Christ-centered worldview. That was um, reported in May of this year. 37% of American religious leaders view the world the way that that Christ views the world. 63% have a syncretic worldview based on inconsistent beliefs that they've picked up over time. As a pastor, I was shocked by that. We all should be shocked by that, even if you aren't a Christ follower. So if you're here today or maybe watching online and you aren't a Christ follower, here's what I understand you expect of Christ followers. You expect that we believe what we say we believe and we live that, and if we don't, like that's hypocritical. And it's interesting that my non-Christian friends uh, know more of, about what Christ followers should believe sometimes than what Christ followers really believe. So if you aren't a Christ follower, I, I understand that you might see, hey, that's really inconsistent. If you are a Christ follower, we should for sure see that's very inconsistent. If we're Christ followers, our worldview should be the same as 
Christ's worldview. Now, even though these statistics are shocking, they aren't new. People having a mixture of inconsistent beliefs have happened for thousands of years. If you reach back into the Old Testament part of the Bible and start reading those stories, you find out that, wow, people had some really weird ideas about life and how life should operate. And if you look in the New Testament part of the Bible, you'll find that the Apostle Paul wrote many letters to Christ followers who were battling with inconsistent worldviews. First and second Corinthians were written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth because it was being heavily influenced by the culture of Corinth. And the culture of Corinth was, was pretty pervasive in, in that it was an up and coming uh, Roman empire or a city in the Roman empire. And the worldview that they had in that city was you can live any way you want. There's no consequences. Just do whatever you want. And, and you know what? That worldview is still very active and alive today. So Paul wrote some letters to, to those Christians and said, that is a wrong worldview. And he tried to correct that incorrect worldview. Then Paul's letter to the church in Galatia was written to correct false teachers who were telling the Galatians that salvation was by works alone, that they had to earn their way into a relationship with God, and they earned their way through ceremonies and right behavior. And if they didn't do those right ceremonies, then they couldn't be right with God. So Paul wrote them a letter and said, that's wrong. That's a wrong worldview. And he tried to correct that worldview. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae was written to correct wrong beliefs that those Christ followers were receiving from Jews and Greeks and Oriental religions in that area that were telling them they should worship angels. And Paul says, we shouldn't worship angels. That's wrong. That's a wrong worldview, and so he wrote to correct that worldview. So again, syncretic beliefs and worldviews, inconsistent beliefs that are put together have been around for a very long time. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome about our worldview and our accountability to God for that worldview. In Romans 14.10, he said, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. Every knee will bend to me. And every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One of the biggest things that I think we will give a personal account to God about is our worldview, how we develop that worldview whether that worldview was Christ-centered or not, and whether that worldview really radically transformed how we live. I don't know if that humbles you, but that humbles me. Now think about this. One day, you're gonna sit down with the creator of the universe, and you're gonna have a conversation about the worldview that you developed while you lived on earth and whether that worldview caused you to live a little bit more like Jesus or not. You're gonna stare into the eyes of a holy God and he's gonna ask you questions about your worldview. He'll say, tell me about your worldview. How did you develop that? Was it consistent with my son's view of the world? Like, I, again, I don't know if that humbles you, but that humbles me to, to think about answering of, of my worldview to the creator of the universe. So it's so important for us to develop a Christ-centered worldview, especially as Christ followers. In addition to that, pastors, religious leaders will give a bigger account to God for our worldview and how we 
taught other people about that worldview. James 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. So I don't know if you, uh, you know, interact with pastors very often or not, but um, there is a weight that pastors carry, especially pastors that are working really hard to present an accurate Christ-centered view of the world to their church family. So when I stand in this spot and teach and when my pastor friends that that I'm well acquainted with, when they do that, we stand here with a heavy responsibility that one day we will sit down and have a conversation with God about what we taught, about whether we accurately divided scripture and taught scripture from God's perspective or not. So I take what I do here at this church very seriously. We all should take our worldview very seriously because one day we will stand before God and give an account for our worldviews. For those of you who are wondering, what makes up a worldview? A Christ-centered worldview is based on these specific things. A Christ-centered worldview is built on God, our perspective of him, his existence and his nature, creation and the condition of the world, humanity, our nature, our value, our purpose and our condition, how we relate to God and how God relates to us and what following Jesus looks like and our view of eternity and our view of truth. So those are the things that a Christ-centered worldview is built on. And over the next five weeks, we're going to explore Christ's view of those specific things. And I hope that you'll be a part of this series, uh, especially if you're, you're not a Christ follower, because I think what we're going to learn together in this series just might blow your mind about what God thinks about you. So I hope everybody will be a part of this. Now, listen to what the Apostle Paul said about having a Christ-centered worldview. In Colossians chapter two, verse six, again, he was writing to the church in Colossae that was struggling with these inconsistent worldviews. And he said this, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Then listen to this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. So every other worldview except a Christ-centered worldview comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world. Why do I say that? Because every other worldview is based on how we see the world, not on how Christ sees the world. So Paul says, don't let anyone capture you with empty worldviews. The problem is most of our world has been captured by empty philosophies and empty worldviews. So what should we as Christ followers do? Should we say to our non-Christian friends and our non-Christian family members, our non-Christian coworkers, sucks to be you, looks like you got caught up in an empty worldview. Should we say that? Probably not, yes, thank you, Barbara. We should not. 
Paul says we should go to war. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, again, speaking to the church in Corinth about the, the worldviews that they were competing with, he said, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. What keeps people from knowing God? Empty worldviews. Syncretic worldviews that have a little bit of this, have a little bit of that, that are inconsistent beliefs. That's what keeps people from knowing Christ. So Paul says, we are to capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now that last sentence there is often used for personal application. Uh, many times uh, we say to ourselves, you know, if my thoughts are, are not correct, I need to capture my own thoughts and cause them to obey Christ. And I have applied that to my life. I have told all kinds of people that I ever counsel, if you have a thought that enters your mind and it is not consistent with God's thoughts about you or God's view of you or the world around you, you need to capture that thought. It can't stay. It does not belong in your mind. I've told all kinds of people that I've applied that to my life, but that's not exactly how Paul wrote that. I think it's applicable, but that's not how Paul wrote that. Paul wrote that for those of us who are Christ followers to engage people around us, to help them understand why a Christ-centered worldview is so critically important for their eternities and how to help them develop that worldview. So are Christ followers supposed to charge into work? You know, are we supposed to leave here today and charge into our lives and uh, angrily debate people about their worldviews? No. Some Christians actually think that's what we're supposed to do. But Paul said to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 4, 5, he said, hey, like when you're interacting with people based upon these very different worldviews, here's how you should do that. He says in, in Colossians 4, verse 5, says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So here's a humbling question for you if you're a Christ follower. Is your speech at home, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, is your speech gracious and attractive. Are non-Christ followers drawn in by you or pushed away by you? That's something really to reflect on because many of us as Christ followers, our speech is not gracious. It's not attractive to other people. We're abrasive many times. And Paul says, we need to be gracious and attractive so that we will draw people in to our God who sent Jesus to die for them. In our speech, our behavior can actually push people away from a God who loves them dearly. So is your speech gracious? Is it attractive? Before we charge into life challenging other people's worldviews, we need to make sure that we have a Christ-centered worldview. And we need to make sure we are living that Christ-centered worldview. Again, over the next five weeks, we're going to explore that together, and I hope everyone will be a part of this. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I want to show you why a Christ-centered worldview is so important. And I apologize in advance for this, but we're going to go deep real quick. Anybody know what today symbolizes or is in honor of? 
9-11. Anybody remember where you were 21 years ago? If you were alive? Um, I think we all remember. Uh, our world came to a screeching halt that day. We all paid very close attention to what was happening. On September 11th, 21 years ago, 19 Islamic extremists associated with Al-Qaeda hijacked four airplanes and carried out a suicide mission against America. Two of the planes were flown into the twin towers of the World Trade Center. A third plane hit the Pentagon, and the fourth crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. The flights that were hijacked were chosen because the planes were loaded with fuel for long transcontinental flights. Soon after takeoff, the terrorists took command of the airplanes, specifically the cockpits, using the box cutters and knives that they had smuggled through security and turned ordinary passenger jets into guided missiles. As most Americans watched in horror, as our nation was under attack, passengers on United Flight 93, headed for California, fought back. One passenger, Thomas Burnett Jr., told his wife over the phone, I know we're all going to die. Three of us are going to do something about it. I love you, honey. Goodbye. Another passenger, Todd Beamer, was heard saying, are you guys ready? Let's roll. Those passengers charged the cockpit, bravely fought the hijackers, and as they did, the plane flipped over, and it flew into the ground at 500 miles an hour. It crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania at 10.10 in the morning. In New York, brave first responders, firefighters, paramedics, police officers ran into the burning Twin Towers to save as many people as possible while thousands of people were running away trying to find safety. 2,996 people were killed that day including 343 firefighters, paramedics, 23 NYPD officers, and 37 Port Authority officers. Today, we honor the victims of that terrorist attack and the brave first responders who rushed towards danger, disregarding their own lives. And what I hope is that today, we won't just blast through our day without pausing to think about the sacrifice that was paid. Today, all over the United States, thousands of people are mourning the loss of someone they love, someone who's not here today, 21 years ago. But for those people, it's still very fresh. It's like it happened 21 days ago. They're still grieving. They're still missing their loved ones. And I hope that today we'll honor them. We'll pause enough to honor the sacrifice that was paid. The events of 9-11 highlight the difference between competing worldviews and the importance of having a Christ-centered worldview. And I want to be clear about what I'm saying. I am not saying that Americans have a Christ-centered worldview. We've all just learned that most of us don't. And I'm not saying that people of other nations don't have a Christ-centered worldview or can't have a Christ-centered worldview. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are huge parallels between 9-11 and what happened for all of us 2,000 years ago based on two very different worldviews. The reality for all of us is Satan, 
the real enemy of God and the real enemy of all humanity and his demons, which are fallen angels, they have hijacked humanity. They have taken over many people's minds and lives through inconsistent worldviews that are leading people away from God to a real place called hell that was designed for Satan, but a place where people will stay for all of eternity if they choose not to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The problem is most people in our world don't know they're under attack. They think that they're fine as long as they're living their best life, and Satan is hoping that they will continue to believe that. But while Satan attacked and is attacking, God responded. God the Son wrapped himself in human skin and charged Satan's cockpit, disregarding his own life. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took every sin that had ever been committed, that would ever be committed, took it on his shoulders as if he committed all those sins. And Hebrews 12 verse two says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Because of the joy awaiting Christ, he endured the suffering, this suffering, He endured being beaten. He endured being whipped. He endured having a crown of thorns that are super long and super sharp being forced into his scalp. He endured pain beyond what we could ever imagine when he was nailed to the cross. Why did he endure all that? Because of the joy that awaited him beyond the cross. What's the joy that awaited him beyond the cross? It's you. It's me. And it's the possibility that we just might respond to what he went through so that we could have an eternal relationship with him. He had no guarantee that we would respond and believe in him and believe in what he had done, but he certainly hoped that we would. Again, Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give a personal account to God for our lives. We will have to answer for our worldview and whether our worldview led us to Jesus or not. So developing a Christ-centered worldview is critically important. We shouldn't put it off. We shouldn't take it lightly. It's the most important thing that we can do with our lives, and it's the most important thing we can help other people do in their lives as well. So here's my homework assignment for this week. It's pretty simple. Join us every week for every message in this series, whether on campus or watching online, and invite other people to join us as well. So if you know some, someone who um, doesn't have a Christ-centered worldview and has an a, uh, inconsistent worldview belief system, invite them to come be a part of this. Because again, together, we're going to learn how Christ views the world. And I think that'll radically shape us. It can radically shape us and how we view the world and how we interact with the God who loves all of us deeply. So come and invite people to come be a part of what we're gonna do in this series. Now, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And after I pray, our worship team's gonna come out. They're gonna guide us through the song that we were singing in the first part of our worship today uh, called Firm Foundation. As we sing that new song together, I encourage you to reflect on your worldview. 
Spend some time asking yourself, do do I have a Christ-centered worldview or have I picked up inconsistent beliefs over time? Have a conversation with yourself. Have a conversation with God about that as well. And then this week, pay attention to your worldview and ask yourself, WWJD, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus view this person? How would Jesus view this situation? And how would he behave based upon his view of the world? And are my views consistent with his views? And then again, come back, because we're going to keep learning about this together. So if you would stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. So God, I think today we're all a little shocked about the statistics that George Barna found and revealed for us to know. Most people don't have a Christ-centered view of the world. And really, that shouldn't shock us all that much because when we look at the belief systems out there and how many of us develop our belief systems, it makes sense that we wouldn't see the world the way that you see the world. And yet, God, for those of us who are Christ followers, that's what you expect. That we have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had, that we actually allow that mindset, that viewpoint to impact our behavior and cause us to live a little bit more like Jesus every day. So Lord, those of us who are Christ followers, we have to learn how you view the world. And we've got to adapt our incorrect worldviews and adjust them to fit your view of the world. So Lord, I pray over the next few weeks together that you would teach us how to do that. And Lord, I pray for those who aren't Christ followers, either here on campus or watching online, I pray that they would continue to come and learn about how you feel about them, how you view them, and what you did for them so that they could spend eternity with you. So thanks for the opportunity that we have to have a firm foundation in our lives. And that firm foundation is your view of the world that you expect us to have. In Jesus' name, amen.